वेलकम टू जेपॉट जेपॉट मध्ये ओके वॉट इज जेपॉट मध्ये तुमचं स्वागत आहे वेलकम टू जेपॉट द पॉडकास्ट ऑन जर्नलिस्ट एंड जर्नलिझम आय एम युअर होस्ट कृष्ण प्रसाद In the wondrous world of Indian media, there are newspapers without books pages and TV channels which are a textbook definition of idiot box. Anything that looks remotely serious or thoughtful has been sacrificed at the altar of the lowest common denominator in the name of market forces. Stories and articles end before they begin. Reviews and interviews are done by expert interns. All this even while the sales of books and the rash of literary festivals suggest that there is a market out there that is not hostage to attention spans and is thirsting for insight and knowledge filling a small but vital blank in the public discourse in the last couple of years with its deep dive interviews with writers and thinkers has been the podcast the seen and the unseen each episode packs in over 20000 words The 200th episode was just shy of 5 hours. The show's host Amit Verma has worn many hats. He's been a copywriter for HTA, worked for MTV and Channel V, covered cricket for Wisden, played poker as a professional and written limericks for the Times of India. In this episode of Jaypod, Amit Verma answers the Proust questionnaire and along the way talks about why more journalists should get into podcasting even if it doesn't fetch them money instantly. Hi Amit, welcome to Jaypod, the podcast on journalists and journalism and many congratulations on reaching a double century of podcasts. without your captain suddenly declaring the innings after episode 194 like you know who uh, thank you for having me on your podcast it's a great honor i am very intimidated by the notion that this cannot be a marathon like my episodes tend to be so i'm looking forward to perhaps learning the art of brevity from you today oh you are in the wrong place but anyway as you know amit this is a revenge episode of sorts uh, for subjecting your listeners to five hours of your 200th episode you have very sportingly agreed to do podcast proyaschit uh, by sitting through your shortest podcast and i thank you very much for devoting so little time for this <laughs> no thank you which is thank you anyway this episode uh, amit has 50 questions wow all of which require just a word or a sentence in answer it is a variation of vanity fair magazine's proust questionnaire uh, proust of course being marcel proust uh, who was the french essayist and novelist who like your great hero and my great hero george orwell died very young and marcel proust believed that in answering questions of this kind an individual really reveals his true nature and because we are indians who belong to the kagaz nahi dikhayenge gang you have not seen the questions beforehand although i'm sure you being you you have guessed a few of these questions <laughs> so here goes amit you've been famously labeled the govinda of podcasting You have starred in 200 podcasts. How many films do you think Govinda has done so far? 
oops uh, he must have done somewhere between 60 and 90 is my random guess poor random guess 165 or a little more than 165 oh, wow. is close out to it so imagine you bumped into a martian who has never seen or heard the scene and the unseen at all how would you as a former copywriter describe the show in a sentence to that man or woman i'd say that this features humans uh, the species that you have just encountered humans doing uh, the one thing that they love to do which is diving into their own navels super what is your idea of podcast happiness a perfect podcast what is that my idea of podcast happiness is a podcast that appears to be really long when you look at the time stamp but it feels like it went by in a flash what is the best thing someone has said to you about your own podcast i think more than the best thing it is uh, the best thing that they have done on my podcast which is by which is opening up and trusting me and saying things which they otherwise only would in an intimate setting to an intimate friend and that kind of trust is something i cherish uh, that that level of trust and relaxation is something that gives me a lot of uh, Uh, gratitude still what was the best compliment you've heard so far well offhand the one compliment if i had to put a blurb on a book i think arvin subramanian said when he came on my show that a person hasn't arrived as a public intellectual unless he's been on my show which was uh, really nice to hear but um, you know I, i i kind of take those with a pinch of salt i think the deeper compliments are the fact that people choose to sit and spend time and talk to me and open up to me rather than anything specific they might say And what's been the most grating compliment you've received or biggest complaint you've heard so far? On my show I haven't honestly heard any complaint because I guess uh, my guests are gracious enough to not complain about the show per se. You know at the most before my show was well known if I made someone talk for a long time they would be like will anybody really listen to 2 hours? which is kind of uh, what they would say uh, almost self deprecatingly is that you know who will listen to 2 hours of me talking. Uh, so yeah you could say that that uh, is not so much a complaint but a doubt that would have been expressed but from non guests have non guests complained a uh, non guest see the thing is uh, as both uh, as both you and i have experienced that if you are on twitter if you are on social media you just get trolled relentlessly so obviously one gets trolled for different things that one does or says which is part and parcel among serious criticisms i think before people get used to the show they say that hey cut it down and what is this it's too long but once people listen to the show and they begin to get it i don't think i've ever really got complaints uh, uh, of that sort we live in an age of paid news have you ever done a paid podcast in 200 episodes i never have and i never will i i'd rather literally die before i do that uh, i have turned down advertisers like in the early days i had uh, uh, you know when i uh, worked with the podcasting partners i worked with they were approached by advertisers who were you know one of whom was a public sector bank and they said that we'll sponsor the show we'll give you what you're asking for but we want to see a list of subjects beforehand and i said fuck off and equally at another point in time a company which made you know ayurveda medicines or whatever uh, said that we'll uh, sponsor the show they sponsored other shows on the network i was on but i pu- i put my foot down and said no way not on my show because i am you know known to be a particular kind of rationalist and it just goes against everything that uh, i stand for so never happened to me and you know publishers will often get in touch and they'll say that so and so author is launching and why don't you have him on the show but the sense of how i want to do this is i i'm i follow my own intellectual curiosities so if there are authors that i feel i would not otherwise have on my show i just say no 
would your podcast have looked so good and sounded so good if indian mainstream journalism wasn't so shallow and so poor that's an interesting question the answer i think is yes and no the no because part of the reason that people value it people value these deep dives is that deep dives aren't happening anywhere else everything else is shallow because media everywhere else feels that it has to cater to the lowest uh, common denominator and even of that i think they have a misconception of what that means it assumes that people everywhere are shallow and only want sensationalism and information but on the other hand if media did things like this regularly and catered to the kind of people my podcast caters to then i think there is a decent chance that there would be more podcasts like this because people would realize that there is actually an audience uh, for the kind of deep dives that i do something that i stumbled upon accidentally and took even me by surprise what is the one thing about the seen and the unseen that no one knows the entire show is me thinking aloud in a sense so i you know so i really bear myself in that sense like at an intellectual level i think if you listen to the show over a period of time it's like seeing me naked it's like seeing how my brain works so i can't easily think of anything about my show that people don't know you know every aspect of it from the troubles it might have at one point in time in making revenues or whatever or uh, you know the kind of guests that have in fact had to turn down all of that i think i i think people have a very good sense of my approach and my struggles through the show so there's you know i'll i'll leave it all out there so there might be things about me that uh, uh, people don't know because they're in the personal domain and i wouldn't reveal either but about the show i think everything is out there So on that note, what was your nickname at Ferguson College? My nickname at Ferguson College—I didn't have a nickname. People just called me Varma or Amit or whatever. Uh, in school, though, school wasn't really a very happy time uh, for, for me. But when I was in uh, uh, school for a brief period of time, people called me Psycho. But the reason for that is not my behavior or my proclivities, but because I was really interested. At one point, I had expressed as one should not do. in front of other eighth standard schoolboys that i was very interested in psychology and i was reading books of psychology so then that psycho kind of became a thing but nothing to do with my behavior uh, at all i was always a pretty chilled out kid what is your favorite three digit number under 200 the f- number that came to my mind when you said that is 126 but there is no reason for that and who you- was the guest for that episode episode 126 now you're messing with me Uh, episode one twenty six would have been in the fifth or sixth month of last year. I think Manu Pillai was one thirty something, one twenty six. Okay, you have me. I mean, I could cheat and do all tab and just look it up, but uh, I, I give up. You tell me. What has been the funnest podcast among these two hundred so far? Give me one name. Don't give me three. I have done fun pod uh, episodes with my very good friend Mohit Satyanand. In fact, you cannot beat the record of my shortest ever episode because I had an episode with Mohit which was either nine minutes or eleven minutes. I've forgotten. Very early episode called "It's All About Rupal Ban," which was almost like a storytelling episode. It wasn't an interview. Those days, the podcast hadn't discovered the format, so it was an experimental, short form little thing, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing this. And and obviously, when you record with a friend and you hang out with a friend, that is just fun by itself. And I've been fortunate that many friends have come on the show, but uh, that episode in particular, I remember. Yeah. And the most boring one so far. You know, for once, I'm going to be very sporting and answer every question you throw at me. But this one, uh, one I can't think of one. But even if I could, I would not do it because it would be disrespectful to whatever guest I named. So I'm sure you'll understand that I, I, I would not. Even if I had an answer, which I don't. Uh, this particular one you'll have to excuse me 
with the bjp in par do you think you would ever be able to do a bindas episode on cows which used to be your favorite thread as a blogger at india uncut yeah there was a meme about that i had like more than i think 200 posts about cows i think i give myself the freedom to do episodes on whatever i feel like and also my assumption correctly is that there are many many people who simply will not listen to such a long podcast so it doesn't make a difference now the thing is there is no deep dive episode to be done on cows per se but i've done deep dive episodes on uh, the hindutva movement and so on in fact in my episode with uh, akshay mukul uh there was a mention of uh, uh you know cow slaughter and the history of that and all of that so i i I'm, i don't hesitate from tackling any topics that i might uh, want to tackle but the subtext of your question is a very good one and a very worrying one because i think we we are reaching a stage where people like you and me might have to think twice before tackling something that hasn't happened yet but um, who knows what will happen in the future having met so many bright and brilliant people what virtue do you consider the most overrated i think one possible virtue would be though it's a necessary virtue would be a uh, proficiency in english because i have met brilliant people who think and read in other languages and in fact i feel that it is a drawback of my own education and understanding of the world that all my reading has happened in english even though i am like all indians are multilingual Uh, so this is almost a question that i am answering by looking inward that if there is a lack in my understanding of the world it is because i have uh, sort of be, been too much of an anglophile in that sense and and the other quality that i certainly think is overrated in fact is uh, certainty that uh, public intellectuals are supposed to express opinions with certainty and just know stuff and the point is that a lot of the time uh it's we don't know stuff if the world is complex it's okay to say that we don't know stuff yet people come to public intellectuals for firm opinions and that is what they respect and i think that sort of certainty is not just overrated but even dangerous and a sign that an intellectual isn't really of um, as high a caliber as one might um, consider her to be what is your greatest fear your apprehension when you approach a podcast my greatest fear is that i won't do justice to the guest in the sense that everyone i invite i am always certain has things of enormous depth and learning and wisdom to impart and it's my job as a host to bring that out in conversation and my fear always is that somewhere i will not be able to do that that maybe i will lose the thread somewhere or i won't go off into the directions i should go down in and my philosophy has always been that if one of my episodes doesn't turn out to be a great episode it is always my fault the guests are fantastic i invite them accordingly they've written amazing books or they are people who understand whatever subjects are their specialty in great depth and and therefore it falls upon me to sort of bring that out and that is something that drives me into panic before every single episode that oh my god i hope i don't mess this up what is the trait you most deplore in yourself having done these 200 episodes now the trait that i most deplore in myself is a lack of self discipline it it might not seem like that because people keep talking about how much research i do and all of that but i feel that i go into every episode under prepped that if i have read 5 books by an author who has written 10 why did i not re- read the other 5 why did i not spend enough time Uh, coming up with more now the thing is that 90% of my prep i don't even use but is useful as background information and it helps you you know if you have a certain baseline of understanding about whatever you're talking about with the 
with the guest then you can go off into these different directions very easily that others might not be able to and i always feel that i don't do as much hard work and research as i would like because of a lack of self discipline which is the bane of my life in various other aspects as well karan thapa named ar rahman as his most difficult interviewee who was yours my most difficult interviewee and this is sort of a very sad thing for me is uh, steven pinker steven pinker was in mumbai and uh, uh, for a lit, lit fest and he of course is one uh, a writer i uh, an intellectual i admire enormously so i asked him for an interview and at first i said listen give me 2 hours he said i can only give you 1 hour so i landed up uh, where we were supposed to land up i did an episode with his wife uh, rebecca goldstein which was great and uh, then when steven came he was in a hurry and he said no i can only give you 40 minutes he was very gracious and not difficult per se but it was difficult for me because my research went into some 30 pages on microsoft word and uh, you know i had extensive notes on all his books and so much that i wanted to discuss and the specific book which was a peg for that episode was enlightenment now so then i suddenly had this decision of do i tackle only the broad questions do i only talk about the book you know the narrative arc that you prepare for an episode that we can talk about the personal and then talk about x and then talk about y goes out of a toss suddenly you're trying to on the fly fit everything into 30 minutes and this was recorded at an outdoor uh, location where um, times lit fest was happening so it was in this room and there were outside noises there was a concert happening so overall it was difficult but not because of the guest what is the quality you are looking for in an interviewee most times the only quality that i ask of them is uh, almost all of them without exception over the especially over the last 100 episodes have shown me this quality is that they show the willingness to have a conversation that i don't want to have a q and a where i ask a question they uh, they answer it and they shut up and then i ask the next question and so on i rather wanted to have this flavor of a conversation where you're sitting and chatting with a friend and your podcast listener feels like a fly on the wall and that's the kind of feel that i go for and by and large so far they have all trusted me with that and what is the trait you most deplore in them in your interviewees okay it's a trait that i haven't actually come across in my interviewees but the trait that i would deplore and that i would not like to see is if they have one eye on the watch and isko khatam karke aage niklo and you know and and this might for example happen if uh, you know an author is on a book launch so they are giving one interview after another and they may not have heard of you before and they might think that oh this is one of those conversations get it out of the way and move on uh, which i think also was you know pinker's approach in that episode which is why even though he is one of the public intellectuals i look up to most that episode wasn't great it was very kind of on the surface so he was extremely gracious and answered everything i uh, threw at him but it never it never got into that uh, you know um, uh, sort of that conversational feel where you're chatting with someone you enjoy being with that that couldn't develop because of the circumstance which is also one reason that these days i have realized that i don't want to do too many foreign guests it's better to be with indian guests because they would have heard of the show they would understand what is the tone and the cadence of the show and they'd be willing to sit down and trust me with it and just sort of chill between narendra modi and rahul gandhi who would you prefer to have a podcast with i'd prefer to have a podcast with narendra modi i think rahul gandhi i'm sure from everything that i have heard from reliable sources is a wonderful human being but um, I, you know i don't find he has any depth you know i agree with obama's quote of him 
uh, and and in fact these days he is much better prepped than he used to be when obama may have met him but beyond that i don't think he's a man of much depth i don't think uh, modi is uh, an incredibly bright person either in in many ways he himself is a puppo even exploring sort of the banality of evil would be of a certain interest to me there is no question who i would like more or would want to hang out more definitely rahul gandhi but um, as an interesting subject i think rahul uh, would be banal and anodyne and not have anything to say and the moment you take him beyond his prep everything would be very uh, shallow that is my sense of it of course i could be wrong caveat there of course is that modi has to um, um, get that in either the caveat is that the assumption is that either whoever i choose would be willing to sit down and have an honest conversation if they are not willing to sit down and open themselves up and have a mutually respectful conversation then it would be equally pointless talking to either of them you mentioned your father in the 200th episode not too much of your mother what's the only question you would have asked your mother if she sat down for a podcast with you it's very hard to say and and she passed away many years ago so i i can't actually ask her but if i was to sit down with her and ask her i'd probably ask her to imagine her life uh, had had she not gotten married and had kids because she was an artist a musician she liked to write all of those things and to a certain extent uh, all of that remained not expressed to the level it could have been so i would have asked her to just take a step back and she's not a young woman in the 1960s she's a young woman in the uh, you know in the 2010s and how would she have liked her life to proceed and i suspect the question would have caught her by surprise and she may not have thought about it herself but i guess maybe you know that is one direction that comes to mind and what's the one question you would have asked yourself you you are interviewing yourself i think the one question that i would have asked myself is how much of what i do is performative in the sense that there is that worry in my mind that no matter how self aware we are everything that all humans do is at some level or the other performative to themselves if not to others and i understand that this can be a crippling fear and obviously there are certain kinds of performative behavior which are overtly performative such as you know the extreme virtue signaling on twitter from all sides and uh, the expression of tribal affiliations and so on but the point is 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 it the case that everything that all of us do is performative is it also the case for example that there is no free will in which case what is the value of any of this this is again if i were to ask myself this question then i think myself the guest responding to the question from myself the host would probably uh, you know sink into silence so i don't know how good an episode that would be and looking back what is your biggest asset as a host as you can see it i think my biggest asset is that number one it's uh, the ability to take in a lot of knowledge because uh, that's what allows me to have these deep dives that i it's it's not a big deal for me to read two three books in a day if i have to and not in a sense of skim but actually read properly and take notes and absorb a lot of knowledge in the short term uh, which is something that i can do and i also have i think a broad enough reading to be able to read on various different subjects and bring certain lenses to bear on it and kind of make sense of that but that's as far as ability is concerned and that's that's accidental and we can't uh, be proud of that or hold ourselves responsible for that but in in terms of approach i think what really helps me and what has possibly what is possibly new to me as a person as well is the the, the ability to be able to listen to set yourself aside and your agenda uh, aside and your ego aside and just sit and listen to someone and and uh, i think that is 
a key component of the scene and the unseen and the biggest weakness as you can see it i think my biggest weakness again is my uh, sort of lack of discipline which um, often can you know i choose my guests according to my intellectual journey as i've said before but if my intellectual journey is constrained by the amount of hard work i can do and the number of books i can read then automatically that also acts as a constraint on the podcast so could i have done broader subjects could i have uh, looked into areas that um, uh, you know i haven't yet uh, the answers definitely yes and and the reason i maybe haven't tackled them is that i simply haven't taken the time to go as deep enough into those areas as i would want to myself to actually then be able to invite a guest and have a meaningful conversation on that when did you last lie during a podcast Okay this is very strange i mean the the point is you know the earlier question that uh, the hypothetical uh, amit the host asked the hypothetical amit the guest was about uh, being performative and then one could argue that if it is a case that we are always performing then it is a case that we are always lying so um, the the answer would therefore be that the last thing i said is probably a lie so i don't know but i i like i said i try to kind of leave myself bare and just leave myself open so i can't offhand remember the last lie because i would try not to lie if there's something i didn't want to talk about or mention i would just avoid the subject and not go there but uh, i i can't actually remember lying on the show because uh, there's nothing to lie about right i mean my my feelings on various subjects are just you know out there in the open so what would one lie about which word do you most overuse as a host besides of course multitudes and incentives i was going to say multitudes and incentives it will probably be a punctuative word like you know like like you know which is almost a word of punctuation or but uh, i guess uh, you know there are various tropes that come out of my show like i often ask my guests at the end what gives you hope and what gives you despair so i guess that is a cliche by now or a trope by now depending on whether you look favorably upon it or not and um, otherwise i ask people about their intellectual journeys i ask them about books that have changed the way they look at the world so these are all common tropes but uh, obviously you nailed it the two key words that uh, are most associated with me are uh, you know incentives and multitudes and i'll often talk about how one question i've explored with many many uh, thinkers is you know the dichotomy between our uh, uh, relatively liberal constitution and our relatively illiberal society so that's also another sort of a cliche trope which which contains so many depths which contains multitudes as it were that i i, I keep going back to it which historical figure do you most identify with i know you mentioned a few names on the podcast but uh, let's hear it once more i think among writers frederick bassia definitely uh, you know the people i admire i don't know if i can identify with them i think there's almost an act of arrogance in identifying with a great historical figure because you know who am i and all that but the people i kind of admire are people like john locke the father of modern liberalism as it were adam smith for the kind of intellectual he he was frederick bastia which i who i spoke about at length on my podcast someone like uh, a george orwell and um, you know and a lot of the modern uh, writers i uh, like like you know uh, who's writing i like like alice munro yoko ogawa and so on so it's it's there are many figures i like but no one that i feel i sort of identify with because you know who am i who are your top 3 podcast heroes uh, dan carlin of hardcore history 
for sure because that is uh, hardcore history is a long form history podcast like uh, uh, he did a sh- uh, series on world war 1 called a blueprint for armageddon which lasted 25 hours five episodes of 5 hours each and it's just him talking no sound effects no music and you you cannot stop listening once you start uh, so i um, i love that um, russ roberts of econ talk I interview podcast he's finished 70 episodes recently and in fact my own episode where he appeared on my show is one of my favorites for the very interesting directions that it took and we both just trusted each other and just let the conversation go where it was and my third i think would be sam harris whose interview podcast i think really showcases a craft of long form interviewing which i enjoyed of course now my form is much longer than his and i have come a long way since but at a certain point in time where i was expanding my own podcast from half an hour interviews to two hour interviews in that space i found that the harris's craft was um, interesting to me that that openness that curiosity that respect for the guest sort of intellectual deep dive was something that i liked so i don't really listen to so many podcasts all the time so even my sample size of podcasts that i've heard is a bit limited but i'd say uh, you know dan carlin uh, russ roberts and uh, sam harris are the three that come to mind and i know that they're all men uh, and uh, actually a lot of the indian podcast young indian podcasters that i admire are actually women uh, it's just that th- these are the three that when i started listening and thinking about interviews meant the most to me but uh, you know there are uh, indian female podcasters like uh, rukmini who was on my show rukmini s who does this outstanding data science podcast again short 5 minute nuggets there's hamsini hariharan who does states of anarchy which is great this may thomas who does this podcast made in india about you know indian musicians and so on so um, so, so yeah i mean uh, a lot of the podcasters i like and admire are women but you ask me for three names and i would be being dishonest if these were not the three names i came up with what is the one trick from your days as a poker player one trick that podcasters can use I think it's a trick everybody can use in their lives and it's not even a trick it's a trait which is a trait of thinking probabilistically about the world of understanding that every outcome in hindsight seems like it was 100% likely to happen it was foreordained to happen but actually we live in a sea of unfolding probabilities and just understanding that is useful and can also then give us a mindset where we are equanimous about outcomes where if something good happens we don't let it get to our head and imagine that we caused all of it because 90% of it is luck and ditto when something bad happens that we don't let it get us down because again 90% of it is luck so you got to control what you can control like in poker you are dealt the hands you are dealt you play them the best you can that's all you can control and the difference is that in poker you get hundreds of thousands of hands over time in life you just get the cards you get but all you should sweat about is the bits of it that you can control what is your behavior and what is your approach and what actually happens in terms of outcomes and so on you have to learn to be equanimous about because you cannot really control that which is another reason that i don't judge decisions by how they turned out because there's so much luck involved in that and at the moment that an original decision is taken what are the factors that went into it and so on i think decisions can only be judged on the basis of that which is often only known to the person making those decisions to begin with so we should not be so judgmental of other people uh, you know that that's another lesson that i take out of it everyone's now doing a podcast are we fooling ourselves by saying that audio is the future First of all I'm not saying audio is the future but second of all audio is huge it's a very 
different medium from all the others uh, i've elaborated that in uh, on that in my episode and i do that in my course as well and i have seen that firsthand so i have no doubt that audio is a powerful medium which allows you to do things that no other medium can audio is not simply video without visuals and podcasting is not simply radio on demand it's an incredibly powerful medium for a variety of reasons that uh, would take a 5 hour episode to elaborate upon uh, and not perhaps this one so uh, um, but at the same time i don't think you know to say that something is the future i mean there are many futures and this is uh, you know uh, one of the uh, media that uh, sort of uh, is exciting for whoever wants to get into it and use it have have podcasts emerged as the cheat sheet of the 21st century a dummy's guide of sorts for easily distracted people to sound smart without working for it i think they can play that role but uh, you know they can also play exactly the opposite role where they can uh, give you genuine depth and insight which you might not otherwise have the time to go out and get like i keep pointing out you know before my 200th episode my longest episode was like 3 hours 20 minutes with uh, karthik mulidharan and uh, that uh, when transcribed came to about 43000 words now if people listen to it at double speed they are consuming what is half the length of a book in one and a half hours and is purposeful directed conversation on a serious subject which is serious uh, dope to the listener i mean just in the process of doing that episode i uh, uh, learned learned so much so no other medium gives you that that here while you are commuting or while you are working out or whatever you can simultaneously listen to something and get all this deep knowledge so i would say it's actually the uh, opposite of sort of a superficial cover for shallowness where you can get the gist of a book in a 5 minute episode and you can talk knowledgeably about it that is a use case that can exist but by and large the way that i use it and the way that my listeners seem to use it is as a way to gain deep knowledge you know the media is in great strife what advice will you give a middle-aged journalist who wants to start a podcast i would say just start it don't overthink it like uh, w- what i keep telling students of both my writing course and my podcasting course is that all of life is a trade off between two imperatives getting it right and getting it done and too often because we want to get it right so badly we paralyze ourselves into inaction and we don't get it done and my advice would be that privilege getting it done getting it done is a key to getting it right because you iterate 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 and then things work out so what i would say is just dive into it and learn along the way and don't think too much of immediate validation or feedback or becoming popular or all of that just do it for its own enjoyment just keep doing it and eventually at some point it will find the audience and you'll also find uh, sort of the form that you want to do and you know you'll come to understand your craft and perhaps even yourself better through the process of podcasting what objective do you think journalists can fulfill by doing podcasts what blank can they fill couple of blanks one is that people these days in this busy world don't have scope for taking in deep knowledge a newspaper piece is going to be 800 words a deep dive in a caravan magazine is going to be 8000 words and nobody reads that anyway whereas a podcast can give you many thousand words as my episodes will typically be 25 to 40000 words you have a opportunity to go really deep into a subject in an accessible way without dumbing it down and bring it to people and don't assume that people don't want that people do want that except they have no way to get that kind of depth number 1 uh there is that you can explore the depth the number two you can often explore yourself because podcasting in different ways whatever form it takes will also give you insights into yourself thinking aloud will tell you something about 
your own mind and the way you approach the world and even that will get refined so uh, for these two uh, reasons uh, you know i think journalists should uh, think about podcasting if they open to it how much how much money will it cost a journalist to start podcasting you can start with zero you can download an app like anchor on your phone and you can record on your phone you can start with zero in fact the precise reason that you can experiment with recording an episode with zero money and again an uh, experimental episode like that of a podcast is like the first draft of an article you write it is private nobody reads it so there is no need to be anxious about what will other people think of it and is the sound good or whatever you can just uh, record it with almost no equipment and you can get down to it but apart from that i use a budget microphone i used to use a budget microphone which was about 4500 bucks the one i use right now is 7000 bucks it's a usb mic it's connected to my laptop but as i tell my podcasting students in the course that i teach you can start with almost nothing and budget equipment is these days is so good that you know you don't really have to spend much money to get that basic minimum quality you need to do a podcast how much money do you think a journalist can make with a podcast look at the moment if you start on day one it's obviously zero the ecosystem is still young and uh, the point is you know the if i might throw that question back to you and is meant in a rhetorical way because we both know the answer is that how much money can a journalist make by just journalisting if they are not on a working for a particular platform and the answer there is zero as well you know so there is this great dilemma that is being resolved but slowly that how do creators monetize what they do because earlier what would happen is that i would write something and people would read it and the people who would read it are paying for it because time is money but how do i capture some of that value and the only way to do that would be through a platform like i'd go to a times of india and sell my column or i'd go to a mint and sell my column and the only way for them to monetize it is through advertising where they are selling the attention of their readers and only a very small chunk of that comes to the creator i think what's begun to happen now is especially through what we see with newsletters and substack and all is that creators can actually have a direct interface with the people who value their work and capture some of that uh, value so that makes platforms redundant and honestly i think ad- advertising at least in the traditional way that we think of advertising is dead it's finished and indian media hasn't figured this out the whole thing is a is it's just i mean there's nothing there uh, so there will be this transition where traditional media figures it out over a periods of years or decades or whatever long it takes right now they are all myopic but i think creators should look at opportunities to be able to first figure out a way to interface with their audiences whether they are readers or listeners and then ways to make money from that will emerge and are emerging so in that sense we are sort of entering a brave new world of sorts why does this scene in the unseen not get advertising you know i know you mentioned this briefly but why does it not get quality advertising despite its content despite its you know quality despite its vintage yeah ironically since episode 2 201 have actually booked ads for the next five episodes so i do have advertising now and uh, f- for maybe the last few months i didn't because i was a one man army and i didn't want to do ad sales i wanted to focus on the content and i thought asking listeners to support would be a better way but i will answer that question in the past tense so why it didn't earlier or why podcasts with smaller audiences cannot even now is that i think advertisers when they look at raw numbers don't get a picture of how influential podcasting is so you know in my mind uh, 10000 downloads of a podcast is as meaningful a metric as say 1 million or 5 million views of a youtube video 
because of the level of engagement when somebody views a youtube video for you know when you have 5 million views on a youtube video your average engagement level could be 15 seconds 18 seconds that's why they say you got to grab their attention fast and blah 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 the average in, the average session time of someone who listens to the scene and the unseen is 40 minutes that's the average listening time that is off the charts if you told me you know 10 years ago when i was in the media that uh, a figure like this is possible i would have said go to hell maybe with some seriously addictive uh, game or something but not with any kind of media as we traditionally know it and and 40 minutes doesn't mean that that's the average time they listen to that is the average session people might listen to an episode in multiple sessions yeah so advertisers often don't realize that the connection that podcasters form with their audience can be such an intimate connection and the engagement can be so deep i think abroad they've kind of figured it out which is why they're the top podcasters do make a lot of money and you know joe rogan got his 100 million deal with spotify and all of that in india i think it will happen with time but if you are someone starting a podcast here today you should focus on the controllables which is a content that you do which is a work that you do and if you care about that and are passionate about that then i'm confident things will work out in the long run but if you are too focused on metrics at the start i don't think that's a good approach in the 200th episode you do a really nice sales pitch for your merchandise for your writing course for your four volume anthology which is coming out next year etc at the end of the day are you a very smart marketing man who knows how to position himself to sell himself no i'm a very bad marketing man because i i i have not done any of this in all my career and things have sort of come together now in the way that i have realized that i enjoy teaching and and again the thing is i could do more courses there has been demand people have said you know why don't you teach x or why don't you teach y but even for the podcasting course that i launched there was you know 6 months ago people were saying this is a no brainer you should do this and i was like no i will not do this till i uh, have the confidence that i have thought deeply enough about it and put all my knowledge down in a manner in which i feel i can add genuine value to it as far as those aspects are concerned you could say that i'm not monetizing anywhere near as much as i could but my thing is that everything i do i'm not going to do anything just for money i have to feel that it is worth it that i am actually creating value in people's lives even with merchandise uh, we wanted to launch with mugs and t-shirts and i got t-shirts made and i didn't really like them so much and i said that no man people people expect something from me and from this brand and i'm really not going to compromise so whatever i put out there whether it's a writing course or whether it it is the anthology when it comes out or the merchandise whatever i put out there will always be the best that i can do and and something that i feel is of value to others so that's just my personal ethic and it's it's very removed from say uh, what it would be if i was just a marketing guy what is the biggest lesson you think you've learned after 200 episodes both about life about podcasting about everything I think the biggest lesson is to listen more. I think the biggest lesson is to have humility. Like earlier you asked me about what is the most overrated quality of a journalist. I would say the most underrated quality for any public intellectual is humility. That just sit back and have the willingness to listen to others points of view. All the 7 billion people on the plus people on this planet know something that I don't know. any one of them can teach me something that i don't know and therefore i should i should not have this approach of oh i have read so many books and i am so brilliant and all of that but instead have the humility to learn to expand your own brain i mean all conversation is an opportunity to make yourself better and that's what you should focus on instead of winning arguments or looking for gotcha moments or making a point or whatever 
So I, w- I would say that's that's probably my biggest lesson in the sense that even if intellectually I could have told you this um, four years ago, by sort of having to put it into practice week after week after week, I think it's even changed the person I am to some extent. And the biggest presumption you've been disabused of? The biggest presumption was the one I started with, that we live in shallow times, that people have short attention spans, there are so many things fighting for our attention. So if you're doing anything, you've got to keep it short, you've got to keep it crisp, you've got to grab their attention in the first 15 seconds. And all of that I, I realized through my podcast is rubbish. That people crave deep knowledge, that people value someone engaging with intellectual honesty and good faith, and they are willing to give their time and respect to that. So that was, you know, the the biggest uh, misconception that I had at the start of this podcasting journey that I no longer do. Now you mentioned uh, the consumption of books. How many books have you read in 2020? I haven't counted. Um, you know, I try to uh, I, I try to read at least 20 books a month. So approximately. Uh, this is what we are in November, so between 200 to 250, I think, would be a fair assumption. Some of that, of course, for research, but I, I don't skim, I don't like to skim, and these would all be books that I've finished. And I might have started other books which I would have left after a chapter or two or not finished because I totally believe that reading is sacred, but at the same time, there is an opportunity cost to every book that we read in terms of the other books we could have read in the same time. There are, you know, millions of hundred books that could add so much to our lives. So if you're not enjoying something, stop reading it. Don't force yourself to finish it. Move on to something that you are enjoying reading. Uh, one of the strengths you did not mention, which I am quite in awe of, is your memory. Your ability to consume these books and bring it up at short notice. What tricks do you use to sharpen your memory? The trick that I use to give that impression, I don't have a great memory, but I'll share my trick that, it's not a trick that I give for this purpose, but it it ends up being a trick that gives this impression to people is that if I am talking with an author about a book, I will read the book the day before I speak to them. So it is fresh in my mind. So I will read it the day before, I'll take copious notes on it the day before, all those notes will be with me. So at the time of the interview, I'll really know the book inside out, I can quote from any part of it because of my exhaustive notes, so I can do all that. So it gives the impression to the listeners that this guy, you know, he can quote from any book at any point, he really knows his shit, but after a week I've forgotten it. So, um, you know, I have a middle-aged man's memory. It's very poor, it's very scary. In fact, how much I forget, like you asked me, who was episode 126, and I don't really remember. I mean, I can approximately remember the people who are in that vicinity, but I don't remember. So, but because I try to go into every episode with my mind really fresh and full of what I'm going to talk about that, you know, uh, listeners might get that uh, impression. If you could change one thing about the podcast, uh, what would it be? Uh, at the moment, I would change nothing about it. I'm, I'm quite satisfied with the way the last 120, 130 episodes have gone. If I could change one thing about it, I'd just make myself more disciplined and work harder so that I could do a wider range of subjects. And even the episodes that I have done that maybe, you know, if I knew more, I'd obviously, and that is the unseen effect, right? That if I knew more than I knew at the time of each episode, would the episode be different? Quite possibly, yes, in ways that, I mean, I think they're broadly, they're adequate. I don't use 90% of my research. So in that sense, they are good. Uh, I would just, um, it's basically just about packing in more, going both wider and deeper. You know, you've been a copywriter, a cricket writer, a blogger, a poker player, a novelist, a columnist, a limerick writer, a podcaster now. Do you regret not having been a mainstream journalist? 
No, I don't. I don't. All of these have been rewarding in different ways. And uh, mainstream journalists, like, I mean, especially when I look at today's times, I mean, Krishna, you've been an editor, right, in these times. I can't imagine myself being an editor of a mainstream publication in these times. I would feel like I was compromising, that I was selling my soul in some fundamental way. I, I mean, it's a different matter that, yeah, people like you and me can actually start media startups today and kind of try to run them with the values that we have and all of that. But had I done something like that or if I were to do something like that today, it would be at the expense of various other things like my podcast, like the other things that I do. That particular road not taken, I don't uh, uh, really regret. Okay. Introduce Frederick Bastia in exactly one sentence without a conjunction. Okay. No buts and and you mean. Frederick Bastia was a lonely fighter of the 19th century who tried to explain in simple terms the complex ideas of individual liberty and the oppressive nature of the state. I did so use a conjunction in and, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think this kind of conjunction is allowed. Well, I can't let you go without a limerick. Can you attempt an on-the-spot limerick on the word libertarian? Libertarian. Okay. Yeah, you'll have to give me a few moments to uh, think about it. Okay, here's one. Uh, the young lady said you must be a librarian, if not at least a hipster or a vegetarian. I said, hey, come with me. I'm going to set you free. What I am is a libertarian. Super. Okay, Amit, you were born to a Punjabi father and a Bengali mother and you've been in Maharashtra since your 8th standard. How do you say, welcome to J-Pod, the podcast on journalism in Marathi? In Marathi? Oh my God. Now I actually spent a year working in Delhi, but I guess I can't count that. Otherwise, I have been in Maharashtra since. Welcome to J-Pod. J-Pod Madhe, uh, uh, okay, what is, uh, uh, J-Pod Madhe, Tumcha Swagata hai. <laughs> and finally, What's your favorite journalism podcast and why is it J-Pod? <laughs> my favorite journalism podcast is J-Pod because it is my favorite journalism podcast. See, I gave you a circular answer to your circular question. Super. Well, that's Amit Verma, copywriter, cricket writer, blogger, poker player, columnist, limerick writer and the Govinda of podcasting. Thank you very much, Amit, for showing off your dancing skills like the Virarka Chokra. And thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Amit. Thank you very much for having me on my favorite journalism podcast. It's a great <laughs> honor. <laughs> thank you so much. समझ है उसके हिसाब से मुझे लगता है कि कर्ण का जो जन्म हुआ था वो स्टेमसेल का साइंस था टेक्नोलॉजी थी क्योंकि शास्त्र कहते हैं कि कर्ण का जन्म माता कुंती की गोद से नहीं हुआ था कर्ण के जन्म की सारी जो कथा आती है उस शरीर पर से एक छोटा सा हिस्सा लिया और उसी में से कर्ण पैदा हुए अब स्टेमसेल वाले यही करते हो ना द थीम म्यूजिक 
for J-Pod was composed by me, Krishna Prasad, using GarageBand. You can follow Amit Varma on Twitter at Amit Varma, A-M-I-T-V-A-R-M-A. The show's website is at sceneunseen.in. Thank you all very much for joining us.